0: Hey, believe it or not, after two years and one month, I've been trying not to spoil it for you as we've gone through the Gospel of Luke, but it's time to let the cat out of the bag. He is risen. He is risen indeed, and here we have the affirmation, confirmation of all of that in Luke chapter 24. Now, before I go there, let me just ask, just as kind of a as a side note here. But a lot of you are probably most familiar with Matthew's gospel for various reasons. And we do a lot of Bible study through it. We study the cross through it. Uh, we know the Great Commission, other things um, through that. And, and without kind of turning on your Bible to, to Matthew, whatever it is, um, here, here's what I'm going to do. How many of you all can quote anything from Matthew... Let's say um, twenty-seven, the the account of the of the cross. Anybody know anything from Matthew twenty-seven? What you got? Eloi, Eloi, Lama sabakini. Okay. My God, why have you forsaken me? There you go. Anything else? Anybody kind of knows from from Matthew twenty-seven, even roughly. Uh, uh, Anybody else from 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 twenty-seven? Anything? Anything? Look at Steve, just going all day. Okay, fair enough. Now how about and so we we've got the account of the cross in and, and, and all of that, that goes on there. He handed over Jesus to be, to, to be uh, um, scourged and crucified. I mean th- those are some, some pretty intense uh, passages and ideas that are there. Can anybody quote anything out of Matthew 28? <laughs> if you can, can I, if you can, let me see a show of hands. Anybody that, that can quote something out of Matthew 28? Really, Will, young will. what, what is it you can quote from Matthew 28? Very, very good. The, the Great Commission. Therefore, all authority... Amen. Now, here's what's interesting. is How many of you that raised your hand were going to say the same quote? <laughs> all right. Now, again, this speaks a little bit to our, our family business of sorts. We know the contents of Matthew 27 pretty well, you know, and all that would be in, in, in that, that section. Uh, it's very vivid to our eyes. And then Matthew 28... The one thing that, man, the, the arms shoot up at is, you know, the duty that we have to go do. Why is it that when, when asked about Matthew 28, that there is no mention of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Like, that's what it's all about, right? I mean, th- without that, all of what we're doing is bunk. We're to be pitied more than all men and women if not for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, we're not the only church that suffers from this. All churches in modern Christendom suffer from this. The cross gets so much more emphasis, and then what it is that we got to do is also very clear as well. But the cross is vivid. The the, the cross is, you know, right in your face. It's it's clear. Uh, We we, we can see all of that. By the way, here's the uh, title of our sermon today, The Resurrection. And we'll we'll talk more about it in just a moment uh, about some of these points here. But but I think we've got to take a, a deeper look at how do we become a people of God that are all about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all about the power of the resurrection, not only as exemplified in him, but in us as well. And all of the implications of the fact that Jesus really did rise from the grave and that there really was an empty tomb. One of my favorite things to be able to go and and do in Jerusalem is to be able to go and see the couple possible sites of what would be the tomb of Jesus and to recognize that that tomb indeed is empty. Praise God. Empty as can be. And as a matter of fact, uh, Well, while we were in there, you know, I was in there with Phil, and at first we were like somber for a moment, and Phil's like, yo, wait, wait a minute. Why am I being all somber right now? I ought to be like fired up beyond belief in this spot. And there, there it is. And in case you need more than, more than one witness, uh, I too was caught by the bug, and I'm like, yes! This is the place! This is the place where he's not! That's the great and vast importance about that. And so we're going to take a, uh, a cue from what the angels say to the women in the tomb and look at why is it that we search for the living among the dead? And why do we look for the living on the cross? Look over with me to Luke 24 as we read these first 12 verses on the first day of the week, which, by the way, is. Is Sunday on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Now, they they waited because it was a Sabbath and they were good observant Jews. And from Friday evening until this point in time, they could have gone late after sunset on Saturday, but it would have been difficult To be able to do any of this sort of work in the pitch dark. And so they wait until first light and obedient to the covenant. They uh, hold fast for this um, for for the Sabbath. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They wouldn't have been able to do it. Some some say that to to roll it away is a a job of of maybe a dozen men. Depending on the tomb. They found the, the stone rolled away from the tomb. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified. And on the third day, be raised again. Then they remembered his words. And how sweet that must have been. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James. And the others with them who told this to the apostles, but they did not believe the women because their words to them seemed like nonsense. That word for nonsense is probably even subdued compared to most of the kind of the early uses of this idea of of nonsense. It was as though they were crazed women uh, that no longer had their sensibilities about them is the way that they'd be talking Uh, kind of the emphasis of that word. Verse 12, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. And so here we have it. Now, unlike the cross where we have kind of more vivid details and we have oh, medical reports and archaeological evidence and Roman records of scourging and crucifixion. And we put all of that into some sort of terrible, beautiful technicolor to be able to see this real example of Jesus's love for us. But the reason I think that crosses get more ink, more emphasis, that they're the subject of more hymns, that they are trinkets in the the different Christian bookstores, is that crosses were always meant to be billboards, That's what they were for by the Romans. They were meant to be vivid. They were terrible, dreadful, wicked, but provocative and vivid billboards. And they were memorable. Plus, the cross needs to be explained through Scripture. And the cross was the fulfillment of the entire sacrificial system of the Old Covenant. And thus, it does require the extra ink from the apostles to help us connect that the old covenant is now being eclipsed by the Lamb of God, our new Passover lamb who bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. And also, the scriptures don't really tell us what the scene looks like. When Jesus resurrects, there's there's no mention of perhaps you know a, a glorious light beam busting the uh, the, the linen cloths away. Uh, there, there's no kind of Jedi power that throws the stone back. There's just he rose, and just that, and straightforward. And as all of the four gospel accounts have different angles on which they describe this event at the end of uh, of each of the gospels, and, and they may have different. Specifics about how many angels or what they look like or whether they were called angels or men at first and angels later, uh, whether it was the, the women, then Peter and John and who's a faster runner, Peter or John and how all that kind of works. I mean, all of those details. Yes, they, they kind of all are satellites around the central issue. But all of the gospel writers get the one basic issue correct. He rose. That's the central story here. He is not in that tomb. He has risen. And as a result, everything changes on the face of the earth forever. It is the biggest deal ever. This is it. This is the central story of why it is that we have the hope that we have. And it's easy again to to really stay just with the cross. And and to to never de-emphasize the cross, my goodness, it is the picture of love. Very rarely will someone die for a righteous man, for for an unrighteous man. But for a righteous man, maybe they might possibly dare to die. Well, sure, that's an amazing act on Jesus' part. Let's never lose the emphasis of that. But a crucified Jesus wins my affections. But a resurrected Jesus demands my allegiance. (laughs) My ambitions, my agenda, my awe, and my all. When you really map out the implications that Jesus did as he predicted and he rose from the dead, well then, you can go ahead and just quickly shelve Mohammed, completely demote Confucius. You can degrade Buddha. He do all you want because... Jesus is the only name under heaven by which men must be saved. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about anything that he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you appreciate his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. And if he did, and he did, well then, everything that he said is now of paramount importance in our life. If he merely died on a cross, well then his sayings are nice sayings that maybe I hold on to and it makes my heart feel warm. But if he rose, then everything he said, then I hang on to with all I have, and so do you. Because everything matters completely. And it is, the re- it is our reason for being. It is the significance of our life. It is the very purpose and our essence if he rose from the dead. I like what N.T. Wright said. Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project. Not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. Yes. That, after all, is what the Lord's Prayer is all about. Yeah. Let me just share a couple of verses for you, too. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? John 11. Romans 6. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we, too, might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Those are all from Romans 6, Romans 8. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Bank on it. Why can you bank on it? Not because you feel emotional about it, but because Jesus rose from the dead. Bank on it. It's going to happen. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. First Corinthians 614. First Corinthians 15, three through five. For I deliver to you as a first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. And that He appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. Everything in our Bibles is either of the greatest import that we should hold on to and let nothing slip through our fingers, or it's just a nice book of happy sayings. And the difference between the two is either Jesus rose from the dead, or he didn't. And the greatest attested fact in history, of ancient history, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is such an important topic, we're not just hitting it today. But at midweek, we're going to have a whole apologetic on proofs Of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Next Sunday, back we come again as well. To be able to have an emphasis on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The following Tuesday, yet again, all the implications of what our lives are meant to be. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as we look at it today, I want to focus on a few different things. Of what the difference is if we focus only on the cross. Or if we focus on the cross and the resurrection. Well, these women went to the tomb, did they not? Not anticipating an empty tomb. Or else, why all the work? As the Sabbath day ended. I would imagine at at Saturday night, as the Sabbath ended, they began their preparations. I think uh, chapter 23 tells us as much. And then as soon as they could, they were right on it. Why? Because they wanted to do some sort of a nicety for this man that they so admired. That's not how you treat. The risen Lord, who turns out to be the ultimate authority and sovereign. And in fact, God, who's raised from the dead. But what were they going on? They were going on sentiment. They were going on feelings. They were going on their their wonderful affections for Jesus rather than on scripture. And when you focus on the resurrection, the, the angels, of course, need to remind them. He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. And then they quote Jesus and they remembered his words. When we focus on the resurrection, we can't help but to move from a feelings oriented approach to our Christianity to a conviction about scripture, a rock solid bulletproof walk where all of the vagaries of life no longer are able to take us down because we realize we walk in the promises of Jesus and by the way, He rose from the dead. And I'm banking on it because He has already secured it with what it is that He has done. And when we focus on the resurrection, we also move from guilt to grace. This is an interesting one, and it's an unintended consequence of focusing quite a bit on the cross. And, and oftentimes, when, when we fall into transgression or sin of some sort or another, you know, we, we want to have something that's going to help us to really make sure that repentance is going to be ours. And that we can move from temptation or even sin back into a path of alignment with the great will of God. And so, what we often do is, We try to use the cross. And how do we use the cross? We use the cross to increase our guilt. We're like, wow, you know what? As I, as I watched that internet, you know, as I was watching that, Jesus was, was, was having the flesh torn from his body, even as I was doing so. You know, as I, as I thought about my, my abiding bitterness against my parents, you know, even as I obsessed on that, Jesus was having to heave his body up on spikes to try to take another breath because of my bitterness. And we, we we try our best to do something that is nothing more than what modern psychologists would call associative conditioning. Is that we try to associate more pain, guilt to a behavior that we want to extinguish. It's negative reinforcement. And it's just using the cross in a humanistic associative conditioning manner. And that if I can keep more pain on the behavior that I want to extinguish, perhaps I will not do that thing because I want to avert the pain. This is this is not much different, by the way, than than what happened in the 3rd century, 4th century AD when the whole definition of repentance, which is metanoia, was in a sense co-opted by the word penitentia. Penitentia was the Latin word that then became the only accessible scripture for the power of change in our life and it was reduced to the word penitentia. What other English word does penitentia sound right? Sound like? Penitentiary. You've done bad things, now you're going to be punished for those bad things. And maybe if we punish you severely enough, you will come to a place of contrition And not do them anymore, and we'll reduce our recidivism rate if we can punish you more severely in this penitentiary, and hopefully you'll become a model citizen again, able to be released back into the wild to be able to do your walk in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what the mind-blowing, astounding power of repentance was reduced to. Metanoia is that you change your perspective on all things. What does the resurrection do? It blows your mind. If the resurrection is true, and it is, well then, all bets are off on how we make sense of the here and now. Because everything is transcended by the kingdom of God, by the sovereignty of God, by a whole nother plane of, of, of existence that is transcendent and supernatural and heavenly and godly. And if, if, if all that we're trying to do to be able to come to a, a better approach to living righteously is having more pain ...keeped upon our bad activities, well then, my goodness, why, why, why use that? Why not get a rubber band that's bigger and harder and has spikes in it? And, and, and snap that on you next time. It's, it's just another form of pain that you're trying to use, but it just sounds more spiritual... ...when we take something as sacred as the cross and use it for our behavioral conditioning. As a matter of fact, the Bible speaks of this. In Colossians, Paul says, since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world... Why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they're based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But now get this. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Right? I mean, you can... You can say, you know what? Every, every time that I go for that M&Ms with peanuts, if you could just come by with a baseball bat and just hit me across the head. You know, maybe that'll work. But guess what? That person may not always be around. And the conditioning of that pain of that baseball bat against the head, oh, it's smarts at the moment. But give it a week. Give it a month. Give it three months. And maybe around about that time, You've actually forgotten about the baseball bat upside the head and you're back in the checkout line at Food Lion and those M&Ms are calling your name, especially if they're M&Ms with peanuts. And as the power of the associative pain has now faded, you are now untethered, no longer controlled by that pain that you conjured up and, and connected. And now all that you've got is that constant siren call. Of those M&Ms with peanuts saying, you've had a hard day. You deserve a break today. What's wrong with a little pleasure in your life? Who's it going to hurt? Go ahead. Have it. It's going to be great. And there you go. And, And there you snatch it. Because that's all that Colossians 2 says. It restrains any value. It lacks any value in restraining your sensual indulgence. And when all we focus on is the cross. Without Don't ever neglect the cross. My goodness. But if we only focus on the cross, the unintended consequences, we begin to use it in that manner. I can't tell you how many people I've sat down and talked with about this. How many men stuck in a cycle of some sort of pornography or lust or or fleshly indulgence have said, you know what? It's so weird. It's like I go strong for about seven, eight weeks. And then after about seven, eight weeks, I find myself lacking any power. To be able to say no and to restrain. It's like, well, that's how long it took for the pain to fade. That's how long it took for your little idea of of skinnerism, or or that is of associative conditioning, to begin to fade and no longer be able to have the, the recency or the power of that. And no wonder if that's all that you got, that it's going to happen. We need instead to have a complete blow away mind change. As a matter of fact, that verse... That ended with, but they lack any value in straining sensual indulgence, which is Colossians 2.23, goes on and says, Since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. That's the vast difference in those approaches of metanoia versus penitentia. Metanoia, suddenly everything changes. The way you make sense of everything changes. The way you make sense of that internet temptation, the way you make sense of those M&M's with peanuts, the way you make sense of everything is completely changed when you realize Jesus rose from the dead. There is an afterlife. There is a redemption that is mine. The the new earth and the new heaven and the new Jerusalem are now guaranteed. It's really coming our way. Jesus rose. I've been made righteous. I get to walk around with this. I get to view My existence, my relationship with God, everything that I do from a brand new perspective. There's something amazingly freeing when life is really about resurrection power than about crucifixion guilt. Also, when we focus on the resurrection. We go from problems to providence. The women were quite grieved as they came to this place of, of Jesus' burial. And in their grief, they just thought of all that Jesus went through. All that they're going to try to go through now. What are they going to do now that they've kind of turned themselves over? And they've lost sight because everything without a focus on the resurrection has become quite narrow. And all of your problems become really big because you're only focusing on on the problems that are right in front of you. You're looking at the bills you're looking at the medical report. You're, you're looking at the emails from, from your husband. All of this is now suddenly filled and it's all that you have. Unless you realize the resurrection. And that even through all of these issues, that there is great providence. Great, great things that can occur. God works all things together for good, for the ultimate reality, for the age to come. all of our problems in many cases really are are refining us for life to the full in the age to come. Then who knows how, how all of these things work together. Even if you were to share your testimonies of how it is that you came to the Lord and you sit here now redeemed, it probably has a bunch of convoluted, crazy circumstances that would overwhelm a lot of people. But through it all, because the resurrection was about to be applied to your life, all of that you now see with grand, godly perspective. Even recently, when the teens had that great getaway to King's Dominion, and it was a fun day, right? You guys had a blast. And you're able to do it. It didn't cost you too much money. Unless, of course, you lost your brand new cell phone. And if you went, perhaps, on a ride that had a loop, and that cell phone was not in a case, and in just slippery conditions, and kind of, sort of, in your pocket... Like some of you maybe could have done on, on that trip. And as you went on that loop, you know, amazingly, that cell phone could actually just slip from a pocket that is no longer, that is now inverted. And, and maybe that did occur. And maybe you think, like, oh, bummer, now we, uh, we're still paying on that cell phone for another 16 months, $15 a month for 16 more months, maybe might be your situation that you might have. And then on top of that, I gotta go on Craigslist and deal with a bunch of who knows what kind of people to try and buy. If you know, maybe that's something you'd have to do. Like, oh, my problems, my problems. What is what is going on here? But maybe even in all of that, there's providence at play, because this is all about the age to come, about a resurrected life, and and it just might be that even right now, that the person from whom you bought the cell phone is sitting down with the women's campus ministry leader and having a Bible study right now. And it's coming to church at the, at the very next service. Why? Because when, we, when life is about the, the, the resurrection, we get to make sense of no matter what the craziness from the perspective of providence rather than just how big our problems is. And the bigger your problem, I guarantee you, providence is that much bigger. And when you focus on the resurrection, you focus not just on subtraction, but addition. A lot of people say, I don't get grace. I don't get grace. I think this is a big reason why. Is that our idea of grace is that Jesus died, He took all of our sins, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree so that we would die to sin, live for righteousness. But He took all of our sins in His body on the tree. And so by by me really giving my life over to Christ and and really being buried with him in baptism and raised with him to new life really is my chance where all of that has been wiped and washed away. And that's subtraction or forgiveness. Forgiveness is essentially that it is the removal of the stain and debt and guilt of our sin. And amen for that. And amen for all that the cross gives us in that. But here's the reality of that. If that's all that grace means to you, is subtraction, all my mess, all my stank, all my defiling activity is no longer on me. Well, guess what you begin to do moments after grace has been applied to your life? You begin to pile up the defilement again. It it, it always occurs. I mean, not that we wish for it or hope for as fire to it, but, but that's what starts to come back. But I mean, if all you can kind of point to is, yes, but he took all my sins. So I'm free from sin, but yet here I am sinning again. So how do I balance that? You know, nature abhors a vacuum. Uh, I had nothing there, and now something's there again. And I don't feel so great about grace, and I don't feel motivated. So let me go to the cross again and feel really bad about every sin, and maybe that'll keep me from sinning. And then maybe if I don't sin for long enough, I'll feel better about grace. And then we become works-oriented, because it was only about subtraction, and the only additions can come from us. Scary, unintended consequence to end up at. But when you're about the resurrection, it's all about addition and not subtraction. Here's what I mean. Romans 4 says about Abraham and the righteousness that was credited to him. It was credited to him. were not written for him alone, but verse 24, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus, our Lord from the dead. Now, get this verse twenty five. Good memory verse, by the way, to keep a balance between the cross and the resurrection. Romans 4.25. He was delivered over to death for our sins. Subtraction. And was raised to life for our justification. Addition. Justification is the same word as righteousness in the original language. It's just just the word in a different form. I could read it that way. He was delivered over to death. For our sins, subtraction, and he was raised to life for our righteousness. Yes, His righteousness that is? His! Just as when, when you are buried with Christ, your sins are credited or imputed over to Christ, his righteousness is given to you as you are raised. Just as he was raised to new life through the power of the Father, so you too walk in newness of life. And in that newness of life, you walk with the righteousness of Christ. Every one of you, as you sit here and as you walk around today, you walk around with a little bit of a strut, I hope, because you do so, not with your own righteousness, but with an alien righteousness. Philippians 3, 9 and 10 says the same thing. We walk around with the righteousness of Christ. He himself, who had no sin, became sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's what you have. That's what you walk around with. When you get to really keep the resurrection in perspective, knowing that he rose, he rose to affirm that he lived a righteous life. And all of that righteous credit that he has is now available and given to every one of you who has responded to Jesus Christ. How sweet is that? And now you're not just walking around saying, oh, I hope I don't kind of, you know, add more stains. Now you walk around like, whoa! I am like beaming with righteousness from a heavenly perspective because it's Jesus' righteousness. What won't I do with this? How how much should I cherish this and value this? How much more do I want to protect and, and be astounded by this righteousness that is mine? That's my prayer every day, by the way, is that I recalibrate my righteousness, not to myself, but to Christ. And I don't raise from my knees or get off of the prayer walk until I have a deep recognition that I am walking around with the very righteousness of Jesus. What ought I not do? What, what, how, how should I feel about myself? Not based on me or my performance record, but based on how God feels about me, based on how God considers me, and based on what God has given me. Nothing less than the righteousness of His Son. That's what the resurrection is also about. And finally, the resurrection... As if this is not obvious enough, turns our grief to joy. Even these women, without the knowledge of the resurrection, they knew the cross. They came to the tomb. Faith wasn't where it needed to be yet. And all they had was grief. First, and Peter, the first to go in, I think, affirms this experience when he begins his writings by saying, Praise be. To the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice now for a little while. You might have some trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honor when Christ is revealed. You are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. A life focused on the resurrection is a life that is a life of triumph. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. And through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus. We live our lives triumphant. Our lives are not a tragedy. Every challenge that we have is still a triumph. Every sideways turn that you take is, once gained from the perspective of the resurrection, is only shaping you to be able to all the more enjoy life to the full in the new earth and the new heaven and the new Jerusalem that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection has already guaranteed. His resurrection is not just part of a transaction by which you can feel better about your state before the judgment throne of God. His resurrection is much more than that, and why it's so much of a triumph. His resurrection already guarantees that all of creation, which grows, according to Romans 8, all of creation has already been guaranteed to be renewed. Paradise restored, imperishable bodies, glorious lives, new earth, new heaven, God coming down to earth, new Jerusalem descending, seeing the face of God, living lives with scenes of bliss forever new, rising in succession to our view. That's what the resurrection means for you. And as we take some time this week to reflect on this, here's, here's my final charge. Here's my final charge (laughs) to keep this before you. This depth of truth in the center of this passage. He is not here. He has risen. He is not here. He has risen. Indeed. Come on. And with that, every day, I'd like you to ask yourself two questions as you reflect on this. So what and what now? So what and what now? And I think if we give ourselves over to this kind of contemplation, this kind of meditation on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we'll begin to see that power of the resurrection brought home by the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I want you to please give your heart to this. He is risen. He is not here. He has risen. So what? What now? Amen.